Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Oh no, this is all my fault. There's something else at the core of my unhappiness that, that I didn't realize. When did that become a bad thing? I'm not dead. It seems I'm the only one with a mind of my own. Go, go. I would not wish you back again. I am not going to dump another thousand-year-old complex on you or anybody else. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, which I don't think is on the Free Music Archive these days, but you can probably find it. So do that. <laughs> My name is Kylie, and here with me are Julia. Oh, hi. And Gretchen. Hey, everyone. The three of us are editors for thefundamentalist.com. I would say we write for it, but uh, I'll be honest, Julia and I have been real sparse. Gretchen is still yep. proing out, though. I do mm-hmm. one episode a month, or not episode, one article a month for our Fundamentals Plus subscribers. That's right. So our website, thefundamentals.com, brings you the latest of all geeky news, reviews, uh, coverage of media, and for just $3 a month. Or $30 a year. You can become a Fundamentals Plus subscriber. It helps keep the site running, keeps the lights on, keeps things a little more manageable for us. And that comes with exclusive articles by Gretchen, as she just alluded to, as well as some others. Uh, exclusive podcasts, exclusive store deals, and uh, I think sometimes Discord hangouts. I think that's a thing that we do. Julia and I need to look into that a lot more. Because we've been yeah. really slacking off ever since uh, Hangouts ended YouTube support. Which was very annoying of them. It is. I feel like a lot of people have migrated over to StreamYard, but I've never used StreamYard as the like host of a Hangout, so I don't really know how it works. I'm but sure apparently it works. I could figure it out. Maybe, maybe now that we're all locked down, I can figure it out. That's right. Uh, if you are listening to this... <laughs> Likely coronavirus is the top news story, COVID-19. We are recording this Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday the 14th of March. Uh, I hope to post it probably Monday or Tuesday. Um, So yeah, things are looking real apocalyptic, aren't they? No. No? (laughs) I wouldn't call them apocalyptic. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I will say this. It is a really, really, really bad time to have hypochondriac OCD, which I have. Mm. So, not been a fun week for me. What um, I still don't understand is why people are obsessed with buying toilet paper. Like, I think yeah. it's just like if we do need to quarantine ourselves, like let's say you have the flu and you need to quarantine for two weeks and you feel like crap. Can you imagine anything worse than also running out of toilet paper on top of that? Right, but that's enough to buy like an 18 pack of toilet paper maybe instead of your normal six pack not like buy like big giant pallets of toilet paper yeah like reams of toilet paper i don't understand i was running out i had like one roll and i just needed to stock up and i had to order it online because i couldn't find toilet paper oh wow yeah i couldn't find light tasting olive oil to make mayonnaise the weirdest stuff has gotten completely from stores like i was in the whole foods right by me um which is walking distance which is why i went to it uh normally i'd rather go to like trader joe's to get a bunch of frozen food for something like this but 
at the Whole Foods, they have that dry section where they have bins of like dried rice and bins of lentils and stuff. Right. And they the bins were mostly fine. Like all the rice you want, all the kidney beans you want, all the lentils. But specifically the bin of chickpeas and the bin of mung beans was empty. I mean, maybe that was just a coincidence. Like, it's the one they haven't restocked. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it was the same day that all the soup was gone. Yeah. It does sound funny, because I don't think I even know what a mung bean is. Like, I've seen it in recipes. It's a kind of bean. (laughs) I do, because there is a... Oh, I want to say it's an Ethiopian recipe called Green Grom Grains, and it's like mung beans and coconut, and it's actually delicious. Hmm. But... I don't see buying out the stash of mung beans to, to make it. <laughs> I mean, is there any coconut milk left? In the there source? is a lot of coconut milk left. There's a lot yeah, of Yeah, so they're, they're not they're not making delicious Ethiopian food. All the all the regular pasta was out, but all the gluten-free pasta was still there. There's some pretty good gluten-free pasta. I mean, I don't know why people aren't buying it. Yeah, like maybe leftovers taste a little different, but when you make it on the spot, it's perfectly fine. Right. Um, it was. It was just weird. It was just weird, weird stuff. Uh, not a single popcorn kernel to be found. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean that. I guess people are probably like Netflixing and eating popcorn. That I guess kind of makes sense. The only thing that was out at my grocery store when I was there, there was actually still plenty of toilet paper left. But um, isopropyl alcohol, which again doesn't surprise me, but I yeah, I wanted to get a new bottle of it, and there was not a bit of it available. <laughs> so I went to office max today to buy more printer toner because i needed to print something and or office depot i don't know it doesn't matter they're all the same Same difference but all like paper products were gone oh it was really strange i guess it's because people are working from home now and they need stuff i i haven't used actual paper to do anything in a very long time (laughs) i don't really know who needs paper products these days my entire job is online. Like at most, I might scribble something down on a notepad if I if I don't want to like have a clacky keyboard going when I'm on a call. I, you do not want to know how much paper is used in schools. Oh, I oh I'm sure I'm sure that you oh, guys yeah, use all that. the paper that the rest. It's of us absolutely don't use. disgusting how much paper we go through. Well, paper is one of the easiest materials to recycle if recycled properly and if separated from other recyclables the issues that we do whatever this is getting into the weeds i can i can go on about dirty murphs for a long time it's all fine uh if you're listening to this you probably didn't want to hear about coronavirus so let's talk about (laughs) fandom news everything's canceled because of coronavirus yeah everything is canceled all the cons are canceled or if the cons aren't canceled they should be there are a couple of conventions that I'm oh my God. glancing side-eye at that are coming up in the next couple of months that haven't canceled. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? It's going to be taken out of their hands. Illinois banned, period, done. You are not allowed to have this event if there are more than a thousand people. And that's through May or through May 1st or something I think like in Ohio, they put a ban on gatherings larger than a hundred people for the next couple of weeks. Um, oh my God. I actually sometimes... A friend of mine brought this up the other day that that actually might be what some of these cons are waiting for, because if your event is canceled, then you get insurance if you had event insurance. But oh. if you have to cancel oh, it, well, yeah, that's actually yeah, a good point. If you have to cancel it yourself, you might not get money back and then you might be in the hole. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. That might be what some of these events are doing is waiting for the state legislature to cancel all events and then they can get like their event insurance. And that's more likely to help them be able to pay back, like refund everybody. So, yeah, 
Um, I will say, if for some reason your con isn't canceled, don't go to it. Yeah, don't. Like in yeah. most in most cases, you, dear listener, will be fine from what's going on. But you want to make sure to limit your social interaction so that you don't inadvertently make someone not fine. Right. Uh, I really, really was flippant about swine flu when I was in college, and I caught it. And they didn't, first of all, they didn't tell me for a week. There was a testing delay. But I was so convinced that I definitely didn't have it and that I just had a sinus infection and they needed to stop overhyping it that I went to class all week. And then they told me on Friday, oh, by the way, you had it. You were in quarantine, right? And like, I really think to this day, what if I had, Mm. what if one of my professors had gotten it or like, who knows what chain reaction I started that could have resulted in someone getting really, really sick. Right. So... Don't just don't take this lightly. Don't go to cons. I promise 2021 we'll have some cons again. Yeah, there will be tons of cons. Well, you know, probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yes. Um, but 2022 for sure. (laughs) So instead of that, uh, now is a good time to like catch up on media. I feel like the good, like the kind of one of the silver linings is like, oh man, there are all these TV shows that I haven't been able to watch. Because I haven't had time, and now it's like, oh, I can watch TV. <laughs> More. I mean, my my work is still going on, so, like, I actually have a very similar amount of free time, because I, I right. pretty much already sit home and, and just play video games. Yeah, you don't have a long commute either, do you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, my commute was a 20-minute train ride. Um, yeah. but oh, yeah, that's like getting yeah. ready and just being exhausted after work if you go in. Like, it's different. When you work yeah. 9 to 5, you get a little more free time back. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Introverts have been pretty well prepped for what's going on. Right I know. Now. That's a thing. Yeah. I'm like, however, oh, yeah, I live, I live and work from home, so I'm good. Anyone who is now home with children, fear not, Disney overlords are here to make your life better. And Frozen 2 is going to be released early on Disney Plus. I think it has hey, been. That will get you th- through. Yeah, I think it was like today. Yeah. Two hours. Awesome. Great. No, or not if they watch it over and over again. That's oh, true. God. Well, they can do that with Frozen 1. <laughs> Disney Plus also has all the live action remakes if you want to feel sad that you're not watching the original animation. Didn't they also release The Rise of Skywalker early? I think, or maybe it was already going to come out right now, but either way, Rise of Skywalker, digital sales, DVD sales, no one buys DVDs, digital sales are <laughs> Funny like story, out. so like yesterday, teacher left a lesson plan to watch this movie, and I texted her and I was like, I can't find the movie that you told me to show them anywhere on the computer, and she was just like, um, the DVD's in the drive. <laughs> it did not even occur to me to look in there. Oh my god. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I would have done. I would have been like, where is it? Who uses DVDs anymore? Except other than my parents, which says something. My parents yeah. use DVDs. They think it's weird that I have, like, Disney Plus subscriptions and things. I'm like, this is this is how you watch movies now, guys. Yeah. This is how it works. Um, what else? Oh, a bunch of things have been pushed back. Wait, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Speaking of... Rise of Skywalker. I feel like we should talk about this because this is what's in fandom. Oh, music. I was I was going back to the earlier news of like all of the the movies that have been pushed back, like live yeah, action. We gotta Mulan finish this and... one bullet point before we move on to the next bullet point, Kylie. We were already on. Okay, whatever. Fine. <laughs> we're very organized, guys. I'm so glad you decided to distract yourself by listening to us. <laughs> I'm. Sh- I mean, we we are helping people get through this crisis, Kylie. That's what we're here for. We're here to help you get through by giving you something entertaining to listen to. <laughs> 
I feel like we're making everyone's blood pressure spike by 40 points. What is pushed back because of coronavirus? Uh, yeah, Mulan is... Uh, the live action really re, re the the live action remake with no singing correct yes yes and no shang oh oh yeah I wish she hadn't said that i know that makes me sad i think it's dumb and like all also white biphobic. people involved in production apparently like they showed the costume designer and it's just a white lady yeah it was all white people and they've been people have been releasing articles about like oh they did so much research i'm like you also could have hired someone from i mean maybe that random white lady is actually like an expert in the history of chinese costume who knows but But still (laughs) probably not not. (laughs) probably not. she was talking about the research that she did so she is not right it feels like something that would come out like 20 years ago where they're like oh we did all of this research to make this movie as accurate as possible and i'm like cool could have hired could have hired like a, a chinese woman yeah. To make your, to, you know, design your costumes instead of a white lady who had to do a bunch of research. Good job, guys. It just seems a bit odd. It does seem a bit odd. A bunch of TV shows have been canceled and pushed back, but um, I feel like the great thing is, is there's all this backlog. At least for me, I have a soup. I have a ton of backlog of TV shows to watch. Um, yeah, maybe I'll actually watch Succession. Ooh. Yeah, I've been watching Harlot's. It's really Yeah, good. I watched the first two episodes. I should keep watching it. Yeah, I recommend it. It's fun. I need to... I'm still working my way very slowly through Steven Universe Future. Oh, yeah. I, I need to catch that. up on the most recent episodes of that, too. Yeah. I just... Yeah. It's good. It's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs therapy, basically. I've been watching... Uh, I've been watching Picard. It's finally getting good. The first couple episodes, I was like, this is fine. Oh, Picard now, is good. I, 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 yeah, I, I want to know what happens. It's good. They got they got a wacky storyline. Although, like, I I wish Rizzo would go away. She's absolutely ridiculous. But other than that, how many episodes are you? Have you seen all of, all the ones that have been released? So eight. Okay, yeah. I haven't watched. I tried to watch one last night with a friend of mine, and my internet was being glitchy. So we rescheduled it for tonight. But I mean, actually, this is the episode where Rizzo is the least ridiculous. But she's still like, go like, okay, sex pot lady spy great i really need this on my tv again also twins go hit on your brother some more not twins but at least incest (laughs) which i think is the funniest thing game of thrones has done like one of the weirdest things that like game of thrones have done to modern media is now it's like cool to have like sexy incest people randomly hitting on their brothers yeah yeah i'm like oh so star trek's doing the like sibling incest thing (laughs) cool Never thought all the Romulans are British now? When did that happen? When did all the Romulans turn British? I don't know when all the Romulans (laughs) turn British. Or why the like male Romulan lead is like knockoff Discovery Spock. He's basically just like they took season two Spock Discovery and like made a knockoff version and are like, this is fine. Everyone everyone really liked what Spock looked like. like, He could play Spock in a movie. He definitely could. Right. Well have you seen have you seen Star Trek Discovery? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, he totally is just, like, knockoff season two Spock. They're like, oh, we'll have, like, a scruffy guy with with pointy eyebrows and pointy ears, and everyone seemed to like Spock then. We'll give him another one. He really likes his fidget cube. Oh, he loves his fidget cube. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Kylie doesn't watch the show. I don't watch the show, and all I want to talk about is fucking (laughs) failed Palpatine clones. Like, why have we been dancing around failed Palpatine clones? 
Okay, so ex- I have I know absolutely nothing about this, so you can explain it. Okay, to me. great. So uh, since I don't know the past month, two months since since Rise of Skywalker came out, and everyone was like, it's actually bad. There have mm-hmm. been like a million. Oh, by the way, this was the case. We didn't put it in the movie. So who's gay? No, no one. No, none of no, those. It's Disney. What are you thinking? No, um, I'm talking stuff like just so you know, Palpatine was a clone. That makes it worse, right? Just so, you, well, okay, Julia. Just so you know, Palpatine's son, Ray's father, was actually a failed Palpatine clone. How? How did he fail? He obviously. I think was... by failed they mean non-force sensitive. Oh. So my question is, did they... I mean? It seems like he worked out fine. He managed to grow up and have a kid. Well, did but, they okay. like, make the Palpatine clone super wrinkly or like? I know I like the 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 wrinkly thing is the dark side, right? The dark side makes uh, you like that. But even his like Well, but in the prequels the the emperor is like that because he gets hit by all that force lightning that like melts yeah. his face. Yeah, like Vader didn't have wrinkles. So it's not like wrinkleness, it's like the kind of like decay. You like decay. It's not instant. I don't know. It was instantaneous in Revenge of the it Sith. It was instantaneous it? Yeah. in Revenge of the Sith, which is canonical. Um, but like, yeah, before before Revenge of the Sith happened, like in Return of the Jedi, everyone's just like, "Oh, the Emperor is so decayed because the dark side has corrupted him." Right, but like all the Snoke clones looked like the crappy, decrepit <laughs> Snoke. Maybe they're just bad at cloning. Like they can only clone like hundred year old men, which means maybe they're bad at writing. Which means that the failed emperor clone was he failed because he was like too smooth. People have made the argument that like he's failed because he was young and hot. <laughs> That's why he's a failed clone. Oh my god! Because Ray's dad but- was like hot. Like, I swear to God that they-, they made the failed clone a thing because they didn't like the jokes about the emperor who fucks. I swear that. I swear that, yeah. Also, um, apparently Ray kissing Ben was out of, like, gratitude. Yeah, it was a thank you kiss. You know how, like, someone saves your life and you're like, thank you, here's a kiss. Here's a, here's a full-on mouth kiss. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so that's a thing. Basically, Star Wars is just, like, J.K. Rowling, like, the whole thing. And, like, revealing, like, this this series of, like, reveals that make the story worse yeah, the more that they there, tell you, like yeah. I can't wait to really hear about all the Jedi on. academies on random planets. Um, and Julia, like, don't worry, they already thought through. You thought it was like a contrivance that all the star destroyers lifted out of the water were fully staffed, but no, they were in suspended animation by the dark side magic. So but now, the thing, my quibble with that okay. is that face. is that they had women on those star destroyers, and they didn't have those in the previous Empire. <laughs> there were no women. Well, <laughs> one of the captains was a woman. I call bullshit. Maybe all of they put all of the women on the Emperor's private armada that he put in suspended animation. I mean, there's like an expanded universe. Women can be fascists too. Come yeah, on. there's a, there's like a I forget her name, but there is an expanded universe imperial female captain. Oh, Sloane. Maybe. What the hell is Pride and Prejudice Atlanta? Why am I only now reading this bullet point? What is this? Okay, there is. I am utterly delighted by this. There is an <laughs> adaptation of Pride and Prejudice called Pride and Prejudice Atlanta that takes place in the South, and it's about, like, an African-American family, and Mr. Bennett is a reverend, and Mrs. Bennett wrote this, like, self-help book about how to find the perfect husband. 
I'm doing all of this. So yeah, I love I love this so far. Um, she's desperate to get all of her five daughters married off because she wrote a self help book about how to find the per- perfect husband, but she has five single daughters. Um, and I, someone that I follow on Twitter was tweeting about it. I was like, okay, well, I need to watch this. I watched the trailer. Is it out yet? I believe so. Um. Because, like, I was just like, the, that new Emma adaptation looks terrible to me. (laughs) But it's the exact same tone as the new, um, David Copperfield adaptation, which looks amazing to me. And I'm trying to figure out why. Because Emma's a character that no one has translated to screen properly. Mm, no. Well, Kate Beckinsale got pretty close. Yeah, I do but, think that... And there was this hard. miniseries circa 1980 on ITV, which was pretty good. Um, yeah. So, but, yeah, I believe that this oh my is God, out. David it's Copperfield. Like, it's Lifetime. It's been out in Europe. Yeah. Who's... Oh, and the it's lead. out in Europe forever, but uh, Gwendolyn Christie is uh, Jane Murdstone, so I, I think that's that's enough. And who is the lead? I forget. Gosh, what's his uh, name? So what's his face? Dev Patel? Yes. That's yeah, right. everyone was whining because there's brown people oh in their God. dickens. Yeah, but it's off. it's absolutely it looks like absolutely ridiculous. It's the guy who wrote Death of Stalin. It seems to be the exact same or wrote directed. It's the exact same tone as Death of Stalin, but it's David Copperfield. Oh my gosh! <laughs> See, that sounds amazing. So yeah, I it, it's just like it's absolutely ridiculous, and anyone who's taking it seriously and complaining about brown people is missing the point because. Yeah, and shouldn't you be happy that they're assimilating and trying to engage with your classic literature, white people? Right. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I, I will never understand the pushback, even on grounds of historical accuracy, which is never actually accurate. I just, yeah, what? <sighs> yeah, Catherine American was blonde. That's what I How tell everybody who complains about casting. Of anything. <laughs> Because they anyway. only want to see white people. That would be why. Anyway, we yeah. probably should have told you all this at the beginning of this before we were yelling about coronavirus and all that. Uh, but this episode today, our segments are going to be talking about the ruins of the ruins of the empire, the Legend of Korra comic that just had its third and final act released like a few weeks ago. Uh, the fun segment is going to continue with uh, one of us making a recommendation on something you should totally watch, read, or play. In which case, I will be recommending the CW's Batwoman. Weird. And then the <laughs> final segment, Julia is going to talk to us about TV Nazis because. I love that. So. <laughs> Wait, but I desperately want to mention that they're making a Jungle Cruise movie. What? <laughs> like, I mean, I they made a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, so it could work. It <laughs> features The Rock and Emily Blunt? Yes! Like, so, for those of you who are unfamiliar, The Jungle Cruise is a ride in Disneyland where it's oh. like you're going on, like a like, a weird safari, but, like, there may be dinosaurs, kind of? Are they like hoping for some Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, like that's like the energy magic. that I'm getting I mean, off of it. And there's like a weird supernatural thing, and like The Rock is like the the cruise captain, and Emily Blunt. Is, I mean, like, when I think Jungle Cruise, I think Heart of Darkness. I, I doubt that's what they're going for. I would watch pretty much anything with Emily Blunt in it. So yeah, she's kind of awesome. And I yeah. think that The Rock has been kind of killing it, and these kinds of like weird oh, yeah. funny movies like i mm-hmm, found I the agree. new jumanji like hilarious i thought that was danny devito in that no karen gillian was in karen it gillian and jack black okay um, jack black okay yeah, yeah. i and i was the, trying to remember which trailers i've seen yeah for it um and then the rock there okay. was something else that the rock was in that was that same energy oh baywatch hilarious <laughs> i thought it was really funny 
Um, yeah. So, I, like, when I heard they're making Jungle Cruise, I was like, that's weird. And then I heard The Rock and Emily Blunt, and I was like, maybe this I'll could watch be it. funny. So, yeah. okay. That's happening. Yeah, well, something to look forward to. Uh, we're going to transition out into our segments now, but just as a general note, we we know we haven't posted an episode in a while. Uh, we're very aware that we are we are adults and busy, and it it has been difficult. So hopefully, you will appreciate this pop up podcast, which is officially what we're going to call it now. Uh, but we'll also still pretend we're in season three because why not? Sure. So thank you for your patience. You don't just have power. You have his power. You're his granddaughter. Okay. So, we are going to, our first segment, we're going to talk about Ruins of the Empire, which sounds like a Star Wars thing, and I feel like there actually might have been, like, a series of Star Wars books in it wasn't that Wasn't that a Grand Animal Thrawn I think book. so. Surely it was a Grand Admiral Thrawn book. It sounds like, like a Grand Admiral <laughs> Thrawn book, but this is actually about the Legends of Korra comic, where, where uh. Toph runs for governor in the Earth Empire. In an election... That will be held TBD. Right. Yep. Cool. And also, Sue is the best mom. Oh best mom God. ever. What? So, okay, so... I guess to give an overarching plot summary, and this is full spoilers through all three issues, and we've talked about the other two issues, I know, but this takes place... We can almost pretend Turf Wars didn't happen. Um, basically. This basic, yeah. Like, it, it, it doesn't build so off of Cora's that So not anyway. gay anymore? What? So Korra's not gay anymore? Korra's gay. I mean, you said Turf Wars didn't happen. And that's all I remember happening in Turf Wars. That already happened in the show. Uh, President <laughs> Julie is a thing. So that's like the one plot point that they seem to have still like progressed into this one is what I'm saying. They, okay. don't, they don't mention anything else because there's nothing else worth mentioning. Anyway, uh, we pick up and it's Kuvira's trial for like crimes against humanity basically and she says she's not guilty and sue goes and like yells at her a bunch and that's kind of the precipitating event is that kuvira is like pissed off she doesn't feel like she's been giving credit because she did some good stuff you guys uh and then what ends up happening is woo at the end of the legend of Korra, declared that there would be democracy in the earth kingdom yep yep <laughs> we'll have freely elected you know, leaders just like the United Republic. You can have so a little there's... bit of democracy as a treat. <laughs> so they're trying to roll it out, I guess, on a state by state basis. So it was a little unclear. And they have some concerns because there's this one area where there is a Kuvira loyalist named Guan, and he is like very fashy and still completely into Kuvira. And he's like, I'm going to run. Ha ha. And they're like, oh, no, we need to stop him from running, I guess. So is this why they go off on the journey? Who's who's they exactly? They? Yeah. Who's, they who's is, the they who say they need the to crew. stop him? The crew. It's like okay. it's like the Avatar gang and Suyin and uh, Wu, I think. And that's pretty much it. Who's uh, in the gang now? <laughs> Yeah, because the trial happens, and then Kuvira, like... Well, yeah, he's yeah. in the gang because he's Mako's boyfriend. In my Is head he canon. actually Mako's boyfriend, though? He really acts like it. He totally okay. acts like Mako's boyfriend. 
All right. I, I, I approve of this. Okay, keep going. So uh, they basically, they decide that they need to all go on a trip and bring Kuvira with them because there is a Kuvira loyalist kind of starting trouble. And he's like, haha, I'm going to join the election and run and you can't stop me because democracy. Right? Right. And they're afraid that he's going to, like, use democratic means to eventually take over the Earth Kingdom government and reinstate the Earth Empire. Um, so they get talked to Sounds like a run. legitimate concern, okay. Um, and then, we're sk- like, Guan yeah, decides over a lot of stuff. to brainwash people that, like, that's the way. That is the way. That is, yeah, this is the way to, to win the election is to brainwash everyone. So both King Wu and Asami get brainwashed. So and Mako and Bolin, yeah. Oh right, and Mako and Bolin—they're not really in this not that it, as much. Neither's Asami, so it's all good. Neither's Asami. It's very much a like Kuvira and Korra work together. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So he has a brainwashing device that's going to make all the electorate want to vote for him. Right. Which we 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 talked about last time as being dumb. Um. Yeah, because there were already, like, two establishment candidates that were uninspiring, so it made sense that people would actually maybe vote for him if the system hadn't been working for them. Kind of exactly what happened in America in 2016. Right. But no, they went brainwashing. So, I mean, we really just, like, probably just summarize the last issue. They had gotten Asami. Um, the, the crew had found Asami, and they unbrainwashed her. They did, like, a bunch of tests on her, and it wasn't working at all. So then Kuvier was like, use me as a test subject to calibrate the unbrainwashing machine. <laughs> uh, and then they unbrainwash Asami, and she's fine, and she's like, that was a thing. And then Kuvira like, runs off to pretend to be loyal to Guan, but she's really not loyal to Guan, so she basically tries to, like, take him down alone, and they stop the evil brainwashing, and they free everyone, and... Then Wu says, you know what? I think I really tried to rush this democracy thing. We're going to have elections at a time TBD. Right. Whenever people feel like having an election, instead of having the Earth Empire, they can have an election. And until then, I'm your king. And there's nothing said about how they're going to prevent Earth Empire loyalists from running or like if that's even still a risk or I think is Toph still running? No, because she lost to Guan. Isn't she like a thousand years old? How old is she? Like in Tough, she's she's old. Nineties? Yeah. Eighties, yeah, nineties. Like late eighties or nineties, something like that. I forget exact. I just That's I just realized that the like King Wu's speech was like, I realized that I was kind of being tyrannical when I was trying to force you guys to have democracy. So I'm gonna let you guys decide when you want democracy, and until then I'm your king. And I'm like, you're you're just issuing this orders. A- like you're continuing to just decide what's best for everyone and issuing orders and they're supposed to live with it. Like Oh, and and then Kuvira, after all of this, comes and goes, I am guilty. And it's like, yeah, we know, we saw you do all this stuff. Right. Uh, and then everyone's like, we're so happy that you said you were guilty and it's clear that you're owning up responsibility, that you're gonna basically be like I don't know. House arrest. Ho- home jailed. Yeah, house arrest in Zaofu with Batar Jr. And Aww. and your mom. Did she and Batar Jr. make up? Not really, but not not. Like, they... they I feel like they left it open Yeah, for the possibility that they could eventually make up. Even though she tried to kill him. Yeah. She felt really bad about it, though. She did. I mean, she did say she felt really bad about it. She's mad sorry. That's why she enters a uh, guilty plea. 
Right. And and then the end is she tells Sue that, you know, she was such a really good mom and she was the best mom. And Kubina <laughs> yeah, should have appreciated Fong, that best she was mom the best award. mom. I know, right? God damn it. Also, Opal was just a horribly shitty sister to her. Yeah. There, this Okay, so just like let's get the elephant in the room, uh, which... I don't ship Sue and Kuvira, but I think there was a a edge to how they were written where that is a very open interpretation. Right. And it's barely countered by the show, certainly, um, and even by the text of this. And it kind of continues in Ruins of the Empire, where there is just weird fraught tension with these two characters and Opal being like, you've always had a soft spot for her and like all this weird shit. And then they'll just shoehorn in her being like, but you were a good mom. And Opal was like an adoptive sister. It's like, no, I don't think that's what the dynamic was. <laughs> right. It didn't ever seem to be. Yeah, there definitely like felt to me like there was more of a... It was not a familial bond between them whenever no, they interacted. It, yeah, it it felt very... Not that felt like ex girlfriendy, uh, yeah, and it it still does. Um, but it's okay. We when, if you just like blot out the words like mom and sister, it still translates as a story. Well, and we even so one of the things that we got in Ruins of the Empire was more of Kuvira's backstory, mm-hmm. which I still don't fully. I don't know what they were doing with it. I yeah, I don't really get what they were going for. Like she was an angry child. She was an angry child who didn't own up to responsibility, and her arc is, I guess, learning to own up to responsibility, right? But, like, that was her arc in Legend of Korra. That's what happened. Right. That's what happened in the show. Like, why did we need to, why did we need to know that she was a, like, an, like, an angry, troubled child? I don't know. I really, I don't want to, like, shit completely over this, because there's, there's some good kernels in here, but I just I feel like the whole is less than the sum of its parts, and I I don't know what they were going for, ultimately. I will say, I like this better than the other one. Than Turf Wars? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, Turf Wars, like, it had either too much or too little going on, and I still don't know which. Right. What about North and South? Is it better than North and South? Anything's better than North and South. <laughs> Anything. Anything is oh better than the Avatar comics. Oh my god. That was so bad with the, like, imperialism's good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the weird thing is, is they kind of ended on, like, a, I mean, not the same note, but they still ended with, like, King Wu. Yeah. This was strange. This yeah, was, like, monarchy, monarch has yeah. its benefits, or... I mean, he was trying to say, like, I was imposing my will by forcing you to be a democracy too fast. So now I will not impose my will by remaining your king. Right. And I'm like, you're still just imposing your will, though. Yeah, it's like you do need to think through this a little bit more and maybe not found democracy in like a week. But this is strange. Also, you know, the the political... It's an inadvertent implication, I know that. But the whole concept of, like, well, Kuvira wasn't that bad because her re-education camps were never meant to brainwash people. Uh, so here's this clearly worse thing, and she never went that far, so it's it's fine. I- I'm just not really aboard for that message. So, so the argument is that she was less effective at brainwashing, like... Yeah, I mean, she didn't have a literal brainwashing machine. Okay. Because under the influence of brainwashing machine, 
Asami goes, I am loyal to General Guan. Korra is my enemy. Beep boop. Right, and like she really- never actually really does anything. They don't go anywhere with the fact that, like we never see Mako and Bolin really as brainwashed. They get like four panels. What really drives me crazy is Asami brainwashed, like that you could do a lot with that. Right. Where she's, she's actually like, angry with Korra because it's kind of set up in the first issue that like maybe it's going to be weird for Asami to put aside how she feels about Kuvira on a personal level to still have her on this trip with them and and still like cooperate for political benefit right because she doesn't trust Kuvira at all Kuvira killed her dad you know all of that Mm -hmm. which I think is a little simplifying her relationship with Hiroshi but okay fine so maybe when she's brainwashed have her like snap like yell at core and be like why would i possibly believe anything you're saying you're gonna you side with kuvira over me like all this stuff and bring up you know because she's brainwashed you could still bring up kernels of things that like mm-hmm. could affect them and then they could deal with it because because afterwards yeah, they do that very well actually in man in high castle yeah, because after she's unbrainwashed, she just goes, oh boy, I don't remember the last three days. I didn't say anything I would regret, did I? And Cora just is like, let's not talk about it. And right. that's it. Yeah, they. I feel like they they raised, they created some very high stakes like dynamics and then didn't really follow through on them at all. Like, Especially because brainwashing is like... <laughs> such a stupid contrivance in the first place that if you're going to go and introduce it can you at least have it affect something other than oh here's a minor inconvenience that we need to stop right and what did it what did the brainwashing do other than for King Wu to force the election (laughs) like the only thing the brainwashing accomplished was that King Wu Ended up saying, no, we're going to have the election now rather than like three weeks from now. And then Guan was elected. But Guan didn't end up even doing anything after he was elected. He was stopped almost immediately. Also, there's no evidence to suggest that Guan couldn't have won the election in three weeks. Right. Like, there's no guarantee Toph would have even beaten Guan. They could. Why why not have that beat? I don't know. Right. What it feels like to me is that this could have been an entire season of Legend of Korra. Yeah. Like, they could have done a whole season on this plot arc and then, you know, have Guan get elected within the first couple of episodes. And then they actually have to deal with, like, Guan's in charge and what he's doing to the Earth Kingdom. Like, they could have done that. Can you imagine that? A fascistic madman being in charge of shit? Right. Imagine. And then... <sighs> And then Kuvira would actually have to be reconciling with what her vision was for the Earth Empire. Right. And maybe a path to, not redemption, but at least, like, a path towards making healthier choices. You know, this is still based on a, a Y7 Kids show. It's a it's a t- Youth 12 comic. So, like, it, it's still going to show her making better improvements to herself, right? But it would be done because of a contrast of actual philosophy and her views right and you could see that kind of like exactly what we were talking about with rise of skywalker with why not keep hux and kylo ren and if you're going to redeem kylo ren it has to be because there is something fundamental with this fascist movement that he does not agree with right right you have to draw that like force kuvira to see in some sense the logical extension of her own ideas and how problematic they are and have her realize like oh crap that's what 
Like, if I had stayed in charge, that probably is where I would have gone. Wow, that's bad. I and like, I repudiate that. I reject that. And, and that would be the basis for her changing. And then we could even have Guan say stuff like, Kuvira, your re-education camps were to do this. This is just me doing it on a right. more effective mm-hmm. like level or like in a shorter span of time. And she'd be like, oh my God. And then Batar Jr., who was also fully on board with the re-education camps, but now has the moral high ground because Kuvira tried to blow him up. Like that they could have actually had a conversation about this. And and I think you you actually hit the nail on the head, Gretchen, that this is a season's worth of material, which I think was Mike's problem and how he paced turf wars also. Mm. You need to let these plots breathe so that you can actually explore dynamics and, and save room for character growth. This was just shoving Kuvira into a, she did a helpful thing, so I guess that's redeemed or something. Right. She's a good guy now because she helped the good guys and yeah, said like, she was sorry. Asami thanks her. She said, it's going to take me a long time to forgive you, but I'm glad you were on our t- side this time. Like, that's where that that plot thread left. There could have been more to that. Mm-hmm. And and my God, if you're going to give us brainwashed Mako Berlin and Asami, c- can they do something? Can Mako and Berlin interact with anyone? No. Right. They Where were they? Right. You could have had Bolin and Opal, like, revisiting the fact that, like, Bolin had sided with... I mean, oh my god! Like, the parallels there, because, like, Bolin had been working with Kuvira, and now he's yeah. brainwashed and siding with Guan. Like, that's gonna bring up some, you know, trauma for Opal. Like, she's gonna believe, like, oh, you're just siding with him again. Are you really actually a good person? Like... Here you are, siding with all these fascists. Um, like, they could have dealt with that and then have him at the end be like, well, I was brainwashed. This time I was brainwashed, but you're right. The first time I wasn't. The first time I was, like, ignorant and, like, didn't see what was actually going on. And that was a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, instead, they kind of, like, use Mako and Berlin as um, sentries that just come out to attack them. Right. And I guess we're supposed to be sad about it because it's Mako and Berlin. And and even that like first fight where they take Asami and they basically like shut her down immediately with earthbending because that's what you do. I mean, like, I, I as far as I can tell, this decision to have like actual literal brainwashing was kind of what took this whole thing down. I think so. Rather um, than like having it, people be persuaded like it, what happened in the actual show. I think they're worried there wouldn't be enough action otherwise or something, mm-hmm. but this is maybe a weird thing. I, I think um Avatar verse action bending doesn't really translate in comics very well well no i it's it's not gonna do what an action scene would do when writing the tv show uh where the action really was quite a feature and and quite a draw to it and i'm not one for action but it's done well and it's no yeah like i just remember the first time i saw the end of season two of avatar right but like that was like the first time i like ever actually appreciated action in anything i i think (laughs) For this medium to explore this universe, the stories almost have to be quieter and character-led and mm-hmm. a little more boring. Uh, and they they always want to like push these big confrontations. So that's actually a big thing that happened in North and South, where suddenly they're like kidnapping whatever the hell that plot was. I don't know. Someone was kidnapped, and it was stupid. <laughs> yeah, because like elemental bending is just so it's so visual. And the way that the fighting styles work, the fact that they're all based on different forms of martial arts, 
that require very specific movements, like yep. is very difficult to translate those specific kind of movements into the com into comic books. It's not just like superheroes punching each other. Like Yeah. They're they're very specific, you know, almost dance like body movements and you just can't translate that well into a static medium like comics. So I think you're right. Like they they want to have these big battles and action sequences, but they, it's just not a style of fighting that translates well into. It's just not interesting, right? Yeah, right. You just like see a panel with like rocks whipping through the air, and then if it... someone redirecting them, and you're like, okay, well, but but like that same sequence, like in the TV show, would have been really cool looking and really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's I think it's funny that they like know that they gave asami zero to do so they had her have this moment in one of the fight scenes where she zaps like the research assistant yeah and she goes this is for zapping my brain and then the next panel is just her going zit and she and she like takes her down with a glove and i'm like oh my god this is such an interesting character and you are just murdering her well they've Uh. neither of these comics have known what to do with asami no, because and Turf most people Wars d- just, don't know what to do with her. Right. Like, mm-hmm. she was kidnapped in Turf Wars, and here she's brainwashed and, like, put inside a metal suit that looks like an Iron Maiden. Which is, okay, what's weird to me about those is they look like Iron Maidens. Which are torture look, devices. Yeah, and, and I will ship Korosami to the end of my days, but, like, frankly, they didn't really know what to do with her in seasons three and four either. Uh, give her a personal crisis. Give her, give me season two Asami or give me death. Mm-hmm. Or she's working on infrastructure. <laughs> and I love, I love how her relationship developed with Korra. I wouldn't trade that, but they could have also like given her stuff. Like Mako had an arc, but Lin had an arc in, in season four. I guess her arc was very quickly forgiving her father. Uh, that was a very rushed conclusion though. Yeah. Well, but now that she, now she's real mad about it and. Resents. Yeah. I'll always be salty about Asami's treatment, though. Yep. Because I'm one of those insufferable stands that people hate. Yep. <laughs> I don't care. I need to go pee, so uh, it's a good time to end the segment. Yeah, I don't I don't have too much more to say. I don't hate it. Like, I really don't hate it. I don't even hate Turf Wars at this point. I just think, like, why? Why do these exist? It's just very, like... like frustrating to have yeah. this be the continuation of the story because this is all there's so much potential right yeah. there's so many places and directions for this story to go and this is what we got and it's very disappointing i will say i'm overall more disappointed in turf wars i think because especially because they had hyped it so much with like you're getting Korasami. um you're getting all the Korasami that you want. And then I was like, but this isn't really the Korasami that I want. Like, this isn't the Korasami story that I want. So at least with Ruins of the Empire, it wasn't, I wasn't told like, oh, this is, this is the continuation of this amazing, queer, beautiful love story that you've always wanted. So you should love it. Um, yeah. I just think the, again, it, it's what I said about uh, Turf Wars. We're like, it's, it, it's very validating, but, but there would have been these moments between these two women anyway in any story and other stories could do more with it. Right. And I lament not having those stories, but I will always have my fan fiction ideas that I have not written yet. Right. Uh, 
And I'll we all have those. Books. Don't worry. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have so many. There are so many fan fictions I have not written. One day I'll finish my Carmen Sandiego fanfic. Yes. Yes, you need uh, to. Yeah. All right. Well, I that really that is that for this segment. We have been babbling for a really long time, and Julia has to pee. So we will be back with the fun segment. When people don't cooperate, we must find other ways of convincing them to join. Other ways? All right, fun segment time. We are continuing with You Should Totally Watch, Read, Play, uh, mostly because the three of us want to know what we have been watch, reading, and playing (laughs) since talking last. Um, And I'm actually, I was going to talk about uh, video games. That's pretty much all I've been doing lately in my free time, rather than watching new media. Which is why it's so hard for us to schedule fundamentalists, because then I'm like, oh, I don't know if you guys want to hear me talk about Disco Elysium for an hour. Uh, but I'm actually going to recommend a TV show. And I'm going to recommend uh, The CW's Batwoman, which is a thing I never thought I'd be recommending. Yeah, this was a thing a, month, a few months back. I remember everyone was really oh God. anxious about it. I think that would be the right word. Well, Ruby Rose cast us as Kate Kane um, brought up a few questions. Number one, would they keep Kate Jewish? Um, because that's usually one of the first things to go in any representation. Mm. Uh, like we've, we've had some, n- not very much, but uh Batwoman has shown up in like bad blood and like some animated features. And it's like never mentioned that she's <clears throat> Jewish ever. Uh, and then, you know, also just like Jewish representation ten- tends to be shitty. Uh, see my many articles on Jewish representation, particularly for women. And, you know, anyone who's listened to The Fundamentalist long term knows that uh, I care a lot about Batwoman. Griffin and I, he's he's my husband. We probably wouldn't be married and quarantined together if not for Batwoman in a lot of ways. Um, or I'm sorry, socially distanced together. We are not under quarantine. But yeah, I mean, she's just a a comic book character that I really, really love. And uh, there's certain runs of the comic book that are trash and don't read it. And everyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, But like what Rucka did with this character, um, what Tinian did even in in Detective Comics when he introduced like the whole Bat family and she was part of it. And certainly what Bennett did in the run that was recently canceled. Uh, I've loved every minute of it. And she is an angry Jewish lesbian out for justice. And it's amazing. Now, Ruby Rose being cast, you know, she's not a Jewish woman. So people thought maybe that's not going to be a feature of the TV show. And then there was also just a bunch of people. I think they were mostly lesbians who were like, she's not she's not a lesbian. She's queer. So she can't play. Uh, this and suddenly and then they very p- quickly pivoted from that very bad point to oh she's not Jewish and suddenly we care about anti-Semitism uh, and I and I love when that happens uh, so I was less skeptical about that aspect of things and more skeptical about it's a CW superhero show and they have been spotty <laughs> so what are we actually going to get out of are this? you going to get season one Supergirl or season two Supergirl now all this being said. <laughs> I grew up watching Smallville. I have a very, very, very high tolerance for adaptations of comic books that are not at all true to the comic book. Like Smallville is a hot mess and I love every minute of it. 
So this Batwoman, if you want a strict adaptation of Kate Kane, as you've seen portrayed in comic books and her relationships, particularly her father, if you want Jacob Kane, if you're a big Jacob Kane fan, this might not be the show for you because mm. they do change a lot of that dynamic. Um, Jacob is like kind of generic dad man. Oh, I actually don't know if I can give you any like particular features of him. He doesn't know she's Batwoman and he would not be supportive of it if he did, which is very, very That's, anti. Yeah. Because huh. uh, comic book Jacob like bought her fucking boots for her and spray painted them red. Uh, right so like, right he does he's, he's an overly supportive dad because he's like oh my god you don't just want to be drinking on yachts anymore you want to be a vigilante i will help you <laughs> i love comic book i love that i love comic book jacob that no this this jacob is just more like dad mcmahon and it's fine for the function in this story uh but it's not it's not bad at all it's just a very different dynamic um he's not like Oh, I wish you weren't gay in any way. He's just like, yep, she got herself kicked out of military school because, of course, she did. That's my daughter. She speaks her mind. So he's like very accepting mm, in that way, which okay. is nice. Yeah. Um, he is married. Her stepmom is Catherine, and uh, she, her daughter Mary, is so Kate's stepsister is the true light of this show. Uh, they they made her like a social media influencer who is also a medical student that has an underground uh, like illegal medical facility where she treats uh, people who are in need oh. of medical care. She sounds um, interesting. She, yes. And, and they're also both um, East Asian. Uh, so it's it, they like, cause bet has traditionally kind of been in that Mary role and she's white. Actually, no one really knows who bet is, but there's no reason to ever need Catherine to be white. There was no reason to ever need her daughter to be white. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that they sort of broadened their horizons a little bit with that. Uh, Kate herself, Ruby Rose's portrayal of Kate is pretty good. There's a lot of times where I'm like, mm, this, uh, I'm not sure this act, like this is really within her acting capacity. It can be a little wooden at times Mm. or like sometimes you might think anyone could kind of portray this, but it's not bad. It's just very like straight sometimes, not in a, not in a sexuality way, just not a whole lot's done with what's on the page. Okay. Not very nuanced. Uh, That said her. mm, Do we want to do spoilers about (laughs) very mild spoilers for anyone who hasn't read, uh, yeah elegy i guess uh but there is a character alice who is actually kate's long lost twin and she was supposed to be beth and anyone who's read any batwoman comic knows very much about beth and uh basically she had this really traumatic experience where there was a car crash in they changed it to a car crash in this show but she was basically kidnapped and uh like went through a lot of trauma and isn't well at all and is now a supervillain. Right. And the the actress who plays Alice slash Beth seems to be the only actress who knows what show she's in, first of all. <laughs> but I am so here for everything she does. She is just, she lightens every single scene. She's amazing. You feel bad for her at the same time. You feel frustrated with her. You feel disappointed. You understand Kate. And the thing that they kept from the comics which is the most important thing and the most accurate Jewish thing that they could have kept is the guilt. Everything, <laughs> everything that drives Kate Kane is guilt. And no matter what choices she makes, the guilt is just piled.
piled on more and more and more. Mm. And that that is the same. At the same time, they also gave her a cool love interest. She was hooking up with this girl, uh, Sophie, at uh, Army School. They don't call it West Point. Army I forgot, school? Army I forgot school? what they call it. Did she get a lot of prizes from Army School? Oh, She, she brought awards from Army. <laughs> and so kate basically was like they kind of gave her an out like you're not really gay this was a misunderstanding right cadet and she's like nope fuck you guys i'm out of here and sophie's like yeah i I lied because i want to graduate and have a good career Mm. uh so they kind of broke up because of that uh, and then Sophie went on to join the Crows, which in this adaptation is Jacob Kane's secret police. It's not a secret police force. It's like a, um, it's like private military for hire, but they okay. also are involved in everything because the Gotham police are completely incompetent. Mm. Uh, so Sophie is in, she's like his right hand man. Uh, and she and, and Kate still have a lot of tension and she like has a husband and stuff, but my husband doesn't know about this sexy past. Huh. And, and, and then there's like uh, Batwoman herself. Oh my god, it's amazing. At one point, she comes out as a lesbian, like Batwoman comes out as a lesbian, and it's an article written by Kara. <laughs> she's like, she can do that, because they're all connected. Okay, that's So, funny. yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here, like, I don't want to spoil the whole plots or anything like that, but it's just, it's enjoyable. It seems to be very aware that there's, like, playful aspects to it. Don't watch it thinking that this is going to be, you know, I don't know, Citizen Kane. It's it's still a CW show, uh-huh. but it's perfectly fun, and it's never trying to be more than what it is, which I appreciate. Uh, Griffin and I were very, very hesitant to begin watching it because of how much comic book Kate has meant to us. Right. And we're just like, you know what? We love this. Like, this is just fun. It's fun. Good. Fun is good. So I have so- a question about her costume. Is the, the hair, did they keep the fact that, like, her hair is a wig? They kept it, but they didn't like explicitly mention the the Jewish connections with like the the women wearing wigs um they certainly right. didn't talk about why black and red were picked from the Jewish point of view they actually kind of made red Kate's color because they changed her birthday so her birthstone is red oh. i'm like all right that's kind of dumb but like I mean, so many people take their breaststones so seriously. I know I do. I, like, know what it is and everything. All the Jewish (laughs) symbolism that Rucka put into, Mm -hmm. you know, Elegy was so esoteric to begin with that I I honestly don't see bringing it to screen unless you're just going to expo dump about Jewish things for, like, 20 minutes, Mm. which I'm not against. It's just it doesn't bother me overly. But they do make her very explicitly Jewish. In fact, the day that their mom died in the car crash and Beth went missing was the day of their bat mitzvah. Like, I think they were on their way to their after party. Oh, wow. Uh, and they talk about it like a lot. And Do they... twins usually have those together? Is that a thing? So, yeah, they're fraternal twins. Um, I don't know. Hey, Griffin. Do, to your knowledge, do Jewish twins often share a bat mitzvah? Oh, yes. uh, he says, oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So, yes, definitely a thing. Um, So, but bad day to you know <laughs> celebrate that i guess uh i don't know they they just they they don't make any apologies that she's jewish i i haven't heard a lot like they're not making her say oy vey or anything like that um so it's not it's not like a stereotype amazing no but they don't let you forget it and it's not just like oh i celebrate hanukkah like oh good it, it's very present which is good 
So, of course, I would want more. I always want more. I would want her, you know, calling people schmageggies. But <laughs> she's also very, very, very unabashedly gay and, like, loud about it. And it's good. Do you think that they might bring in Renee Montoya at some point? Or do you, like, do you get the sense they might go that direction? Or do you think not? I don't know where that character stands with rights. Right. And that is why I can't comment with certainty on it. I do think this Sophie character is going to dry up in intrigue after maybe season two or three. Mm. Uh, I don't see a lot to explore that. And I like Sophie's characters. It's absolutely nothing against that. Um, It's just... But to me, Kate and Renee are so iconic that like... Right. Right. I was just wondering because you mentioned mentioned the police force being like at least some part of the subplot because it's compared to Jacob's like private militia or whatever that it seems like that could be an opening for them to bring in a character like Renee. I feel like they're trying to mush Renee into this Sophie character in some ways Mm. or that's the direction I could see them more going but it's just so not the same character. It's not the same dynamic. Um, Everything about Kate and Renee's dynamic needs to be that they are hot fucking messes at all times. Right, right. So this is this is just very different. This is a lot more like at the moment it's it's like she's closeted and needs to figure herself out and it's a little more traditional in that sense mm. and which, which is good it's important um representation to have i think it's just not like where i'm at with what i would prefer right right but we'll see we'll see how it morphs so i could i could more see them trying to make sophie into this sort of renee-esque mold than i could necessarily see them bringing in another character but maybe maybe i'm wrong Right. Have you seen Birds of Prey? I have not. And Nobody has. Because <laughs> nobody's seen it, Gretchen. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> it's I, supposed to be good, though. I really well, enjoyed it. Who you ask. Um, it is my. It's. It feels like it's like the Thor Ragnarok of DC movies. In That's that a good thing, though, if it's like trying to be fun, right? It's very fun, very upbeat. You can tell it's made by women. Um. And about women. And the reason I bring it up is because Brene Montoya is such a hot mess. Such a hot mess in that I movie. Love, she I is love the Renee hottest so much. of messes. And I loved it. I actually just had this conversation with a friend of mine who didn't enjoy it. Um, and was like, why was Renee... Like, I didn't enjoy the fact that she was such a mess. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is, like, such an accurate depiction of Renee Montoya. She's such a hot fucking mess. Like... I also like. I think that was I great. Want us to, I also want us to do a segment on this at some point. But some of the female representation I have found the most refreshing has been from fucking abridged series, because that seems to be the only time female characters are allowed to like be really weird and messed up and not perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just strange. And like, I I kind of like when there's sort of terrible people right. that are women. Right. And so Birds of Prey was actually of high interest to me for that reason. Not that Renee's not a terrible person. No. Like she's she's just a she's a train wreck. Yeah. She's absolutely and, a train wreck. And you don't see that a lot with, with women. Right. It's strange. I think you would really like Birds of Prey for that reason. Like we get to see like messy post breakup Harley like squeezing cheese was into her mouth while she's wearing sweatpants on her couch. Like, yeah, I mean, I probably would enjoy it. I've been meaning to watch it. It was just not super messy. Dinah. um, I really loved Black Canary's character. She's kind of a mess. Like all of these women are kind of messes in their own way. 
but they just team up because like Roman is after all of them. Um, Ewan McGregor's character. So I love that it's just a bunch of like kind of disaster women being like, I guess we should work together and be kind of disasters about it, but it's fine. Um, but that's also why I really love Harlots is because Harlots, like, there are several female characters on the show that are terrible people, just awful, awful humans. And, and I love that it's a show. It's mostly women. Um, there are only a couple of male characters. It's primarily about women and they're all sex workers in 18th century London. And because it's mostly women, like you're allowed to have like some really awful female characters that exist in this universe. And like the ones that aren't like super terrible are just kind of messy and sloppy. And like, there really aren't a whole lot of like cinnamon roll, really good, perfect, amazing characters. And I love it. It's such a mess. It's yeah, it's just a dimensionality, I think, that that often is lacking. Because, like, you can look at characters. You know, I don't want to say, like, Alex Danvers is super flat. Like, she's not. You can see that there's character flaws built into it. But there's difference between that and, like, mess. Right. And you don't see mess a lot. Unless it's in a bridge series, in which case it's played up. So, of course, you see a mess. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Female characters and, like... Queer female characters aren't really allowed to be super messy, but, like, both Harlots and Birds of Prey have some, like, very messy, like, Harley is queer and she's a mess, um, and she's explicitly queer in the movie, um, they- Oh, good. They show, like, a, like, a montage of all of her exes at the very beginning, and one of them is a woman. Yeah, because, I mean, people underplay that a lot with- with Har- with Harley specifically. Right. Um I mean of course Renee Montoya is is a lesbian character and she's a yeah, she, yeah. big old train wreck mess um in the movie. Her dynamic with Ish. her ex is pretty fabulous and oh. to me is so quintessentially Renee Montoya, which is what I loved about it. I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what Renee's life would be like with her ex. Um, oh yeah! Oh yeah! She'd just be. She's such a disaster. She's such a disaster. It's a trainer. It was. It's so great. Um, Ever do yourself a favor, and you guys, if you guys have a lot of downtime right now, it would be good, I guess. But to read her um, run as the question through like Crime Bible, and there's there's a bunch of them, but just like look it up. Right. Uh, following following New Fifty Two. She's she. It's just delightful. She's wonderful. I love her as a character, and she wears a suit a bunch in that. Oh yes, suits are nice. <laughs> Um, so yeah, interesting. I am, I am, I might start watching Batwoman then if it's just like a fun, I could use I just, some more I was just expecting like fun it to shows. Be, I was expecting it to be so cringe and sometimes they do say things that I'm like, oh my God, CW. But like, I get it. I get it. Um, and, and understanding that their audience is mostly younger than me. Like it's, you know, it's kind of just cool to see Is it this. though? I think. I'm pretty sure. I mean, sure. I was intended for like. A young adult audience, but it seems mostly adults watch these things. I think it's just because that's who we talk to online. Maybe I'm, that's true. I don't know. Do the kids watch the TV anymore? <laughs> no. Do the kids? Do the kids actually read YA fantasy? Let me know. Right. Let us know in the comments. I do have questions about that, Julia. I will certainly tell you. I don't think that there's like a smack of twelve-year-olds reading the Legend of Korra comics, which is why it also frustrates me that they didn't just make these comics M and a, like go with who their audience obviously is. But mm-hmm. maybe there are. I don't know. Right. Yeah, they were in the kids section of my local comic book shop. 
which I was like, oh, right, yeah, I guess technically these are supposed to be kids' comics. I don't really know any kids reading them, but sure. Yeah, like, like it's a Nickelodeon brand, so that's what they're going to go with, and that's why they're going to do it, but I think it, it hampers them. Anyway, let's stop talking <laughs> about Legend of Korra more, and instead transition so that Julia can talk about Nazis, my favorite subject. Okay, people, time to recalibrate our gaydar. That woman is a lesbian. All right, so y'all are you talking about Nazis, Julia? Because I've been wanting to talk about this show for like how long? That is true. It's been over for three months. Yeah. Anyway, so we all know how much I love introducing segments. So here goes. So Man of High Castle, uh, if you've heard of the show at all, as far as I can tell, it hasn't made much of a pop culture impact. But if you've heard of it at all, it's probably its disastrous initial marketing campaign before the first season came out, where they basically uh, covered the New York subway in swastikas and the Statue of Liberty doing Roman salutes, which was probably not the best thing to do. Yeah, that seems like a bad decision. The city with, with the city with the largest Jewish population in the world, just not a good look. Uh, so after that, no one seemed to be talking about the show in the media at all, but yeah, it went through four seasons on Amazon and I liked it. I thought it was good and it had things to say. And this is based off of a book by, Uh, yes, a Philip K. Dick book called Man in the High Castle. Which um, I don't think is really good. I don't like that book very much. Mostly because, like, I feel like the ideas in it are kind of half formed. Mm. And that's kind of how I feel about The Handmaid's Tale now and why I think the show is actually better. (laughs) Just because, like, it's not that the ideas weren't there or that they were bad ideas. It's just that, like, after four seasons of a show, there's so much better developed. Like, the world building is so much deeper than it was Mm. in the book. So maybe it's not even fair to compare them, but I don't think it's a good book, and I think they made a decent series out of it. So the the conceit of this is that it's like an alternate universe in which the Axis won the World War II, and what is now the United States is divided uh, into three parts, basically. Like, one part is the Nazi part, another part is like the Pacific States of America, which are like a, a Japanese puppet state, and then in the middle you have the neutral zone where there's cowboys and stuff. And that's like and- Colorado... Yeah, Colorado. I think the, like, I'm not sure if it has an official capital, but, like, the capital of the neutral zone is Denver. So it's, like, basically, like, the Rocky Mountain corridors. Uh, the map for the TV show is a little bit different than the map in the books. Like, there's no, in the books, like, there's, like, an explicit, like, division of, like, there's, like, a state in the Old South where they reinstituted slavery and stuff like that. And, like, in the show, it seems like the the American Reich is, like, most of, like, Eastern America and Canada as well. And it's, it's not really clear. They never make it super explicit. But, um, yeah. So the main characters, there's two real main characters. One of them is like the head Nazi guy in America. And the other one is like this just like rando chick from the Pacific States. Um, and yeah. So the, sh- the thing, the trap that the show falls into, which I think a lot of stuff, like they talk about this a lot in American History X. Is that like these things, like, even if they're, even if the point of them is to say Nazis are bad, they always tend to make Nazis look cool. Mm. <laughs> you know? And like, especially, uh, so the, the man's name is John Smith. He's, <laughs> um, he like walks around in this like SS uniform and he's played by Rufus so well. He's so hot. The man is just gorgeous. <laughs> and just, and he just like, 
Yeah, like, he looks good. And they all, like, look, I mean, like, they designed the SS uniform, like, back in the 30s to make men look hot. Like, that was the point of it, right? Mm. But, like, it works. Man, these people look so hot. But, like, they, there's also this awareness that builds, like, by by the third season of just how, like, LARPy the whole thing is. Um, oh. Like, there, there's this one moment where, uh, so the, in this fictional universe, the head of the American Reich is uh, George Lincoln Rockwell, who was an actual historic American Nazi leader. And there's this, there's this scene where he gets out of a car and an edge camp or whatever puts this, like, cape on him and gives him this, like, this, like, stick thing, like a fashy kind of stick. And he walks maybe 20 meters to, like, meet the delegation that's greeting him. And then the same guy takes off his cape and takes a stick. Oh. <laughs> so he put on this stick, this, this cape, and took the stick to walk 20 minutes and takes it off. So he's just, like, dressing up, right? And it was it was so hilarious. Um, so they have these... They have these Nazis who look so good. They're dressed up. But, like, as the series gets on, you get really, really anxious that they're going to actually redeem these people. Uh. And that is not where they go. That is not where they go, thankfully. I mean, it's less of a redemption arc, more of, like, a guilt arc, I would call it. Like, I mean, the problem with these, like, there, there have been several, like, alternate universe, like, you know, the Confederacy wins the Civil War and right. the Nazis win the World War II. And, like, the problem with these is just, like, projecting the Nazis into the 60s. is always just, like, there's no way the system would have lasted that long. You know? <laughs> just because these systems inherently are unsustainable. They they eat their children. They eat each other, right? Right. So just, like, and so having that as, like, the premise of a series is kind of ridiculous in the first place. But... And there is a lot, they do discuss that quite a bit within the series. Like, uh, so it takes place in the 60s, right? So 20 years basically after the fall of America. And there's a lot of things that have already been swept under the rug in terms of like how the state established itself. And a big part of the, f- of the fourth season is his kids starting to ask questions. Mm. You know, like, because they spend, because his marriage goes on the rocks and they spend some months in the neutral zone where there's still like things like black people and, you know, black music. They don't really, they kind of forget about black people until the fourth season, but that's kind of a different issue. And so the kids come back and they start like asking questions like, oh, what happened? What happened to all the black people? What happened to all the Jews? Like, where are they? Like, where do they go? And, you know, they, they told these stories to kids in Germany in the 30s that like, you know, they're going to Madagascar or something like that. But it's just not flying anymore because they have, there's still like this information going around and they hear things and they're just like, no, tell me what happened. Mm. And that's like when the guilt starts. And the first two series, the first two seasons rather, there's there's a plot line with uh, the Smith's son. I don't know how many spoilers you want. But yeah. That's the, mild spoilers ahead. Yeah. Well, their son, uh, their son, uh, ends up dying basically because you know this you fascists have this pyramid where they're at the top but as it goes on the pyramid gets narrower and narrower and narrower and their son is caught as this pyramid is narrowing basically i'll i'll leave it at that and that's when that's when they start thinking like hey maybe this whole nazi thing is not a good thing Mm. and you know that happens a lot there's a series that is on Canadian Netflix. I'm not sure if it's on American Netflix. It's a German series. Um, 
called uh, Charité, or Charité is a very, like, a famous hospital in Berlin. So the series is about the hospitals during the Second World War. And, like, the kind of turning point of that series for the main characters is when one of them has a disabled baby. And then, like, all of a sudden, mm. you know, they they were all gung-ho and, you know, believing in the final victory and everything like that. And then this happens to them. It's, like, a very sim- similar thing happens to, like, the main... It has to be personal for people to understand yeah. how bad things are. And, and, and like, um, Helen, the... John Smith's wife, who's really a much more interesting character than he is, in my opinion. She says, like, when her daughter confronts her about, like, all these things that she was involved in before she was born, she says that, like, you know, like, I believed in it. I thought it was the right thing. And it wasn't until they came for me that, you know, it wasn't until, like, I was, I were, I was that people that (laughs) Mm. it really hit home how, like, you know, like the depth of what they had done. Right. And then, like, I don't, the ending of the series is so incredibly interesting to me because you have these, you have this guy who, spoilers, he, he's in a position of extreme power at the end of the series, but he's absolutely powerless to stop anything from happening, right? So he's, he's, he's come to this, like, guilt arc realization that, like, maybe a nuclear war and, like, killing all the undesirables in the other side of the former United States. Yay, let's do that. Maybe that's not such a good idea, too, but he's absolutely powerless to stop it. He's, on paper, the most powerful man in the world, but he like, they've, like, unleashed this monster that they can't stop. Um, but weird things. There are a lot of weird things in this series that I can't really... So the other half of the United States is run by the Japanese. See, I was going to ask you about that, because I feel like yeah. when people... Think about World War II, we think about Nazis, and we forget about the fact that, like, the Axis powers also included, like, Mm -hmm. Japan and Italy. So, does this show actually, like, deal with Japan? It's, uh, I mean, half of it is in, is in the Pacific States. One of the other main characters, Juliana Crane, she is in the Pacific States. Okay. And, but, like, the way that they portray the Japanese characters, I mean, it's different because, like, there's an actual, like, migrate, like, a ruling class of Japanese Japanese people who have like come over and they're they're running the place but in America it's Americans who are running the place but they're Nazis um they like those Japanese characters are portrayed with a level of sympathy that is not the case for any of the Nazi characters American or otherwise Hmm. which I think is a little bit strange because like their program was maybe not as like specifically genocidal but definitely as you know, chauvinistic and destructive and murderous. Uh, so just, and like, you know, Juliana has this respect and knowledge of Japanese culture that is portrayed as, you know, a good thing, a wise thing. And there's no real equivalent of that in the Nazi side. With like, there's nobody who's just like, oh, I'm really into like Goethe and Beethoven. And, you know, like, oh. like there's nothing like that. And there's a main character who's like an actual like Japanese, Japanese guy called Tagomi, who's, who is portrayed very sympathetically. And, um, yeah, so the, this show is about alternate universes and both Tagomi and John Smith at some point travel to an alternate universe and kind of have a second chance with their families. Huh. And Tagomi, the Japanese guy reconciles with his family and Smith does not like he tries to, but he just ends up like, you know, 
because he feels really guilty about his son dying and like the role he played in it. Uh, and he tries to reconcile this alternate universe son and it does not work out at all. I mean, that's part of the whole no redemption thing for John Smith, which is, was a good decision. Huh. But yeah. And they have like, like the Jap, the, the Japanese evilness is more like kind of like, like the ideology that they had of like basically like Japanese supremacism and the need to like be militarily in control of everything around them. It's portrayed a lot more like a survival thing, you know, mm. and which is definitely how they portrayed it in the thirties and forties. But just, you can question how much that was ever really a thing, but they still had the sympathy and they have like, you know, the crown princess of Japan, who's a very sympathetic character and working for peace that you, you don't really have anything like that on the Nazi side, which like just, it, it's a strange, it's a strange detail of historiography, I think, which I wonder how that will be in a hundred years, you know? <laughs> I wonder if that has anything to do with our cultural feelings of guilt for the way yeah. that America responded to the treatment of Japanese. Like, oh, for by, sure. By, by, you know, which was a terrible yeah. thing to do. All of the, con like, basically concentration camps mm -hmm. that American, that we as Americans put the Japanese in, in response to the Japan, you know, fighting in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder, which is an interesting meta, like, meta because the the Nazi, as you're saying, like, the, the story of the yeah. Nazis is about guilt. And, like, recognizing one's guilt and, like, feeling guilt for the things that were done. And it almost, from what you're saying, sounds like there may be a level of that on the storytelling level and the way that they're portraying the Japanese. I mean, I think they tried to do a similar thing with the Japanese in that, like, their whole idea was that, like, if we conquer enough, like, land surrounding Japan, if we control everything militarily, then we'll finally be safe. But, you know, they're not finally safe. They're in this Cold War with the Nazis... There's rebellions everywhere. Like, all their kids are traumatized after fighting in these, like, guerrilla wars. And just... So there, there is something that they're trying to do, but there's no denying that, like, you're allowed to like the Japanese in a way that you're not allowed to like the Nazis, either American or otherwise, in this show at any point. Hmm. Um, and also, yeah, it took them four whole seasons to remember that black people exist. Like, they mention black people, but, like, there's not, like, a main black character Oh. Or there's definitely not, like, a kind mm. of, like... Like, there's, like, like random characters in the new season who are black. But it's not until the fourth season that they have, like, like actual, like, an organized response by black people. Like, act people, like, expressing their feelings as black people to the events of the last 25 years, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So That's... that was that was a little late. I mean, there, there are... Um, there is, like, a bunch of Jewish content you'll be happy to hear, Kylie, in earlier seasons. But, like... The of, like in terms of what happened in the states, the Jewish experience and the black experience had a lot in common in this story, right? And so you're just like, where are the black people? But then they they kind of turn up with a vengeance in the fourth season. So I don't know. Well, I guess that means they listen to criticism. I would guess right? maybe. Uh, uh, they definitely weren't in the book at all. They were just kind of like, yeah, there's slavery in the South again, and then just they kind of vent the handmaid's tale too. They're just like, let's. Make all the black people go away so we don't have to deal with them. Um, right. Well, yeah. I mean, Philip K. Dick was a, like, older white guy writing science yeah. fiction in what, like, the 60s? 70s? I think it was in the... Yeah, it was supposed to be, like, a contemporary alternate universe. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. he definitely had some issues with, like, mm -hmm. didn't really depict 
a lot of people of color, women were not as big of a thing I mean, either. Juliana Craig was a main character in that book, and she was really into Aikido and stuff like that, too, in the book, so that's weird. But, um, yeah, it just... I know I, I kind of it's hard to describe this arc that they have with John Smith as he kind of realizes what a shitty place he's made the world and just and in the fourth season they have this like series of flashbacks for him at the very like the end of the war when like America surrenders, which are like absolutely heartrending and just really show you what like a coward this man is. Mm. And I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's just there's this one scene. It's just it's a parallel to a to like a scene in the very first episode where Juliana. I mean, it's not a spoiler because this is the first episode, right? That's how that works. Mm-hmm. Basically, her sister runs up to her like randomly on the street one day and gives her like this film canister and says that like you have to get this to the man in the high castle. And then she runs away, and within like thirty seconds, she sees her sister get shot by the police. And then this. And then, like, Juliana is just like, yes, I'm going to help my sister. And she goes off on this quest. And there's an extremely similar scene for John Smith at the end of the war where, like, you know, someone who loves him asks him for help and he refuses to help them. Which just, like, just, like, I'm thinking about it right now and I'm crying. It was so devastatingly effective the way they did that. Mostly because the acting in the, sh- in the series is incredible. And so just, like... If you're if you're not watching the show because you're afraid it glorifies Nazis, um, I don't think you have to be concerned about that, because just yeah, they're LARPing cowards basically, <laughs> and and they they. What I find too is generally with shows where people say it's glorifying Nazis, you have to already be going in with a pretty weird conception. Yeah. Right. No, but it like I mean like they look cool. They were supposed like they that's on purpose. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, even, like, I like people talk about that, like, with American History X, where it's supposed to be this, like, grand anti- anti-Nazi, anti-neo-Nazi ballad. But, like, all everyone remembers is, like, Edward Norton looking super cool. <laughs> right? Mm. I don't... <laughs> I still think that was a well-done movie. But... Yeah, well, it, it was. But that's what people yeah. remember. They remember him playing basketball in slow motion and just looking awesome. Uh... Anyway, so... um I was supposed to talk about, like, Hunters, right? Yeah. I am <laughs> yeah. curious to hear your thoughts about Hunters because I, I mean, I've when only the, watched when the, the first ads came out. Two, yeah. The ads are fucking everywhere and started to annoy me. But, um. But they looked cool. I watched the first two and a half episodes and I can only call it meh, I think, at this point. It's just mm. a little too over the top. I know that's supposed to be the aesthetic. Like, it's supposed to be, like, the whole, like, A-team oh, kind of thing where they, right, yeah. they have, like, a gunslinging nun and, like, <laughs> The woman with a giant afro, and it's just like it's a little too like that sounds a little very too seventies. Yeah, it's a little too stylized, and like, and they have this one guy, like, I'm sure he has a name. I forget his name. He's like, I think he's going to be like the main like mini boss or whatever. But he's basically this guy. He's a like a Nazi who just like every once in a while he just starts monologuing about Nazi things. Like, there was this one scene where he was on the airplane and he was sitting next to this, like, mother and son. And the, the stewardess offers them peanuts and the mom was like, no, he's allergic to peanuts. And so, like, Nazi monologue guy goes on a, this, like, quiet monologue about how, like, you need to let people with peanut allergies die and, like, call the herd. But, like, in an extremely long, quiet monologue kind of way. 
Wow. And, like, it's cool because, like, you can see the mom and this, like, slowly starting to freak out and, like, starting to, like, you know, put her arms around her kid and, like, pull him away from this crazy monologuing Nazi. But it's so just, like, so over the top. And there was this other scene where he's doing his laundry and he's, like, in a wife beater. And you can see his, like, Nazi tattoo on his shoulder. And there's this, like, black lady across the table folding her laundry and just, like, looking really freaked out. And he makes this like, kind of comment about how you have to separate the whites from the colors when you do your laundry. Ooh. And you're just like, this is a little over the top. Do you think it, like, so I, I assume I, that's intentional. <laughs> that, like, they're going for a yeah, very specific aesthetic. It's just not one that hits. It's very, yeah. For you. And, and like, you, like, the whole thing is that there's, like, a secret, like, deep state of Nazis, basically. And they're going to try to take over again. And it's just this, this like, ragtag bunch of misfits who are going to stop them. But I don't know. And there is a show on HBO, which I think is premiering, like, now-ish, called The Plot Against America, which was a Philip Roth novel. Okay. Where I think it was, like, Charles Lindbergh wins the election or something, and that that man was a Nazi. So oh, weird. Uh, it's like a mini series, and it's going to be like six seasons, six episodes long. What? So we'll see how that goes. That's that's very that's a similar alternate history Nazis win thing. So we'll see. I feel like we should not be making a bunch of shows about like white supremacists being in charge, given given the state of our country right now. It feels yeah. a bit too. Feels a bit too on the oh. nose, but without people like recognizing that, like, no, this is actually kind of where we are now. Like, yeah. we have actual white supremacists who are in charge of our government right now. That's that, and that's a problem. We were yeah. kicking people off of food stamps back uh, at the exact moment where lots of people aren't able to work. Great, right? Well, you got to keep that going. Yeah. <sighs> oh, Kylie, fun detail that you might appreciate: the point yeah. of divergence between the Man of the High Castle universe and our universe was apparently when um, Giuseppe Zagara succeeded in assassinating. Oh, Rosa really? Bells. That was yes. the uh, that was the divergence. Yeah, because yeah, because then like the New Deal doesn't happen, and you know the states enters the war like in a much weaker economic position. Wait, just... so what, he just instead of hitting Mayor Cermak, he hit FDR? I don't was know that... the details, but he succeeds in assassinating him. He gets assassinated. Yeah, because uh, Giuseppe Zangara was the attempted assassin of yeah. FDR, and he uh, shot at... He had a tummy ache. Where was it? it was, yeah, it was Miami, and it was a parade with the mayor. Mayor Cermak uh-huh. was in the car, and FDR, and FDR was fine. Yeah. I don't remember what happened to Mayor Cermak. I know he was hit, but yeah. I don't know if he died. Yeah. That's a fun detail. I mean, it's like, there was this whole thing about how, like, uh, there are these... Like, there's an ability to travel in between universes, but, like, only if you don't exist in one universe. So, like, if you die in one universe, like, uh, like a double of you could possibly travel in from another universe, but the two of you can't exist at the same time, right? That's a not important detail. But, like, the whole thing is that, like, there's all these, like, films coming in from different universes, and the man in High Castle oh. is a guy in the neutral zone who's collecting them all. He's compiling them all. And both the Japanese and the Nazis are kind of obsessed with them, not like people not seeing these movies because they show like all these possibilities of mm. different outcomes of the war, like different ways the world is now. And that's, I mean, that only really lasts two seasons before that plotline kind of goes. Like the character of the Man in High Castle is there for most of the show, but like, yeah, the whole thing about the films doesn't really, but like, there is kind of like Juliana Crane does this whole like inspirational tour of the former United States, just like trying to let people 
like telling people about these films and showing them to people and just like so that they're just like it is possible to beat them we're not like in a totally hopeless position here. right mm-hmm. and then at the end black communists take over california oh. so spoilers <laughs> cool i mean well, i'd okay, be then. i'd be okay with that <laughs> yeah this is the yeah it's it's a decent show and there's a character called frank who has an absolutely awesome arc. And he has a BFF. Um, he has a BFF called Ed, who is the most cinnamon rolly cinnamon roll ever depicted on television. This man is so good and so sweet. And he does have a happy ending. So yay. Oh, good. And he's gay and he has a happy ending. Yay. Is he as precious as Elnor from Star Trek Picard? I mean, he's paid by DJ Quails. So even more. Okay. Because right now, my favorite, like, precious little cinnamon bun that I just want to, like, wrap in a blanket and protect from the world is Elnor from Picard. Yeah. <laughs> I just, he's, he's so precious. He's adorable. I love him. For, for, Kylie, for your reference, Elnor is a member of a, well, he's not officially I mean, a he's member, not a member, because he's but a But he dude. was raised by Romulan nun assassins that are kind of like the Bene Gesserit oh. from Dune. Kind yes, of ish. they're exactly like the Ben and Jensen <laughs> from Dune. They're exactly the same thing. Yeah, um, but he's he's a boy, so he was not allowed to actually join them. But he was raised by them, so he and they follow this thing called the Way of Absolute Candor, which is yeah. So Romulan society is very secretive, um, and you don't like it. The whole you know a whole aspect of their culture is that they it's all about you know like lies and secrets and. So the way of absolute candor is the opposite of that. Like, you literally just say whatever you think. There's no filter between what you think and what you say. So he comes across as this very, like, earnest, like, you I know. I mean, he's, like, 17 or something. Right. right? And But he's, yeah. like, he's he's got this, like, samurai warrior aesthetic, but also just, like, very honest. Um, right. And yeah, so, he's an innocent mass murderer. Yeah, he's, yeah. And he's <laughs> just this sweet, precious little baby where, like, if things are uncomfortable, he'll be like, wow, this is very awkward right now. And I'm like, oh, I love you. Oh, <laughs> you're so cute. Like, he's precious. I love him. Yeah, I mean, I've been meaning to maybe try out Picard. I- I'm not a Trekkie in any way. Like, I just don't, I didn't really watch any of it, which is why every time you guys speak about Star Trek, I'm like, totally silent but <laughs> that happens know. to me sometimes when you two it's, talk about things so <laughs> yeah well i mean that was that was you while we were talking about legend of Quora. right the i mean comics. i love legend of Quora. i just don't like the comics I know, you just didn't read the comics but uh yeah but i've been meaning to check it out i don't know we're all probably gonna have a lot more time to watch things and talk about it now is what it sounded like um for the next few months likely so yeah, yeah. I don't know. We've been we've been blathering for almost two hours, which is impressive for us. Uh, I actually would expect that there's probably going to be a new episode a little more timely than mm-hmm. <laughs> these episodes have been, just because all we're the now, reasons we have mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're consuming media, um, and it's very it's feeling like very uncertain times at the moment. So every day that passes, we're going to know more and more about the scope of this thing, its effects what the path forward is uh but yeah for now it's just try and take care of yourself all you can do is live day to day make the de- best decisions you can every day wash your hands yep yes wash do wash your hands. hands and sneeze cough and sneeze in your elbow people 
why do people not do that already? I don't understand. Yeah. Apparently, I, mean, I just found yeah. out that that's, like, the official, like, in the rule book for the Coast Guard, that is the only way you are allowed to sneeze. And if you sneeze yeah, no, any actually, differently, like, I have... like, you get an infraction because it's, like, not the officially sanctioned <laughs> sneeze. You have to be, like, three feet away from someone and you, like, sneeze or cough into your elbow. I've yeah. been carrying a thing of Purell in my pocket while I'm teaching, and every time a kid sneezes through their hand, I give them a thing of Purell. <laughs> Good for you. Well, that's a good. That, that's a good mechanism. <laughs> no, I mean, I just as someone who's been slightly germaphobic my entire life, I just didn't know this wasn't standard practice already. I'm learning that like sixty percent of people don't wash their hands after going to the bathroom. Like, what? Yeah. Hmm. What are people doing? I've always been paranoid about this stuff, but uh, you know, the most important thing is just making sure that contact remains limited. Uh, it doesn't mean. You know, you have to be scared if you if you run out of something and you need to buy more of it. Just use precaution. Don't touch yourself from the neck up when you're mm-hmm. out and limit contact with people, especially if anyone in your life is particularly vulnerable. Right. So. And in the meantime, fill your life as much as possible with like joyful things. Yeah. Practice self-care. Maybe maybe our next episode could be a like um, list of like our favorite things that we're watching while we're, you know, things to watch while you're top 10 list yeah top 10 or play watch yeah, or play uh, yeah like a rec list I like that. I like as long that as i'm idea. allowed to put sip six on there put what on there sip six <laughs> i don't know what that is i know schitt's creek was ranked like a relaxing show that you should watch oh i love oh man schitt's creek is so good it's so good. yeah seriously all right well thank you so much everyone uh let us know in the comments below what you're planning on watching during lockdown or whatever we're going to be facing and We will hopefully talk to you sooner. Mm -hmm. And we love you all. Bye. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye. I can't do this. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frugal. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. Sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. The shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. 
What are we holding on to, Sam? There's some good in this world, Mr. Furl. And it's worth fighting for. 